And um, I think, obviously, um, well, I was actually at, at IHOP this week, so I had no idea what was going on uh, until people started to pray on the mic that there were uh, some rioting going on. Not really rioting. What do you call it? Charging the White House? No, not the White House. The Capitol City. Not the Capitol City. Capitol. <laughs> what do we call this? Capitol Hill. Capitol Hill. Thank you. Um, and... It was really nice that to be in the prayer room when that happened, because uh, it was not an automatic like, oh man, what's going on? The world sucks, but it was something that we could just take to the Lord right away, uh, corporately, as a body, like, God, would you break in right now? And so there was immediate hope and not discouragement. There was immediate faith and not fear. Um, and so I wanted to talk about unity because of that this past week. Um, I don't read the news a lot anymore. Uh, I've scaled back a little bit from it. But from what I've heard, uh, right now there's a mass exodus um, on uh, social media, uh, specifically Twitter. Uh, thousands of people are leaving it. Uh, that President Trump got banned from Twitter. Uh, and uh, that there's certain, suddenly, tech media, uh, Google, Facebook, are shutting down, um, uh, like even some apps that people are using, um, that right now, even there is an update on your phone, uh, supposedly, that is cutting out, uh, I don't know if it was yesterday or today, that is cutting out the emergency broadcast uh, ability of the phone, if that makes sense. So there's a lot of things that are happening so that there's no ability for anyone to broadcast like an emergency situation. Um, so there's a lot of censorship that is suddenly happening. There's a lot of, um, man, like what's going to happen? And then there's this call uh, going out. I feel like last year the call was justice. You know, everyone from Christians to non-Christians is saying justice, justice. And now that has shifted this week to unity. Everyone's calling out for unity. Um, and why are we so divided? Da, 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 da. And so I wanted to address that uh, because how do we approach this from a Christian perspective? So many viewpoints, so many emotions, and where do we posture our heart in the midst of all this? And I have mentioned it before, and I, I think I'll mention it one more time, is that we are not guaranteed that the future will ever go back to normal, and it may not. And I think a lot of people, even non-Christians, are starting to believe that it may not. Everyone was looking forward to 2021 and hoping that 2020 was behind us, and immediately, you know, six days into 2021, uh, it looks like it's not going to be totally better. Um, and so everyone is kind of looking ahead, and... We, as Christians, um, we look at scripture and we say, okay, uh, it may get better, it may not get better. Uh, actually, probably it may not get better if the Lord is doing what we think he's doing, which is purifying his bride. But the good news is that Jesus promised two things. One, he promised that in this world you will have trouble. That was his promise. 
But two, he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And that is the hope of the Christian right there. And so regardless of whether Trump becomes president, Biden becomes president, civil war, whatever it may be, China invades Taiwan, you know, like <laughs> those are the thoughts and worries and concerns. Regardless of that, we as Christians are called to be a light and how we be a light in that period is that the world would look at us and say, wow, you have supernatural peace during this time. Like, what is it that you have? Why are you not troubled? Why have you not uh, put up unnecessary, you know, or just fearful, uh, exuding fearfulness in your actions or your speech? What is it that you have that we do not? And that is gonna be the greatest time of evangelism in the midst of this darkness. And so, with unity being something that everyone's talking about right now, um, I want to propose to you, as I did last year, when justice was the word of the day, I want to propose to you that as Christians, we believe that just as justice can only be found in Jesus and Jesus alone, unity can only be found in Jesus and in Jesus alone. That there is no other name, and I feel like Acts 4.12 is going to be tested again and again in our faith, is that... Salvation is found in no one else. Saving from what? Disunity. Saving from what? Injustice. Saving from what? Sickness, disease, you name it. There is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we may be saved. Um, and that is, that I feel like that is the thing that is going to be tested amongst Christians. That whether we really believe that or we just sing it. Right? Whether we really believe that Jesus is the only justice, that Jesus is the only uh, path to unity and the only unifying factor, that's going to be tested because everyone's going to have a bajillion opinions. Trump should be president. This person should be leader. This person, we need to do it this way. We need to do it that way. This is the way we do it. But that is all humanism. That is all let the strength of man save us. But the only real factor of salvation is Christ and Christ alone. Uh-oh, I lost my clicker. Okay, thanks. Go. Um, so I want to study one passage that's kind of famous on um, the idea of unity. And uh, it comes from Ephesians chapter 2. And I kind of, you know, it's a long chapter, so I kind of just, you know, took some major parts from it. But I'll go ahead and read it. Actually, let's have our favorite person read it. Jessica. <laughs> okay. Um, Ephesians chapter 2. You used to be dead because of your sins and acts of disobedience. You walked in the ways of the Olam Hazam and obeyed obey the ruler of the powers of the air, who is still at work among the disobedient. Indeed, we all once lived this way. We followed the passions of our old nature and obeyed the wishes of our old nature and our own thoughts. But now... You who were once far off have been brought near through the shedding of the Messiah's blood, for he himself is our shalom. He has made us both one and has broken down the uh, machitza. machitza, which divided us. He did this in order to create in union with himself from the two groups a single new humanity and thus make shalom, and in order to reconcile to God both in a single body. In union with him... The whole building is held together, and it is growing into a holy temple in union with the Lord. Yes, in union with Him, you yourselves are being built together into a spiritual dwelling place for God. Okay. 
so take a moment. I'm actually going to try this and just see if it kind of helps. But I just feel like we need to digest the word a little more. So I'm going to give you guys a, about 30 seconds to just read this on your own. To, to absorb it, to digest it, to allow the Holy Spirit himself to speak to you about this passage. Okay, so a couple points on the Christian and the biblical perspective of unity. Let's go to the next slide. Point number one, division is not a result of differences. It is a result of disobedience to God. It is not because of differences that we are divided. The Bible is very clear that it is disobedience to the Torah, disobedience to God and his ways and his leadership the lack of a head over the body that causes division. Let's go to the next slide. So I'll just isolate that area. You used to be dead in your sins and acts of disobedience. You walked in the ways of Olam Hazeh, the world, and obey the rulers of the powers of the air who sell work among the disobedient. Indeed, we all live this way, following the passions of our old nature and obeying the wishes of our old nature and our own thoughts. Go to the next slide. Division, again, is not a result of differences. In fact, when God created in Genesis, he said, make all different kinds of animals, make all different types of plants and all different uh, types of birds in the air and fish in the sea, and he looked at it and he said, it is good. So differences are not what cause division and brokenness. It is disobedience to God. Uh, in fact, Genesis talks about the first division, being, of course, um, Adam and Eve, not understanding the character of God and the knowledge of God, and therefore disobeying God. So Genesis to Revelation is a story about God healing the great divide that causes all other divisions. Um, so, you know, all the little cracks, and all we see in the world today when we read the news are little cracks that sprung from one great big crack in the very beginning, the division between God and his people. And we have to understand this because God is the only one who brings unity. The Holy Spirit, it's a supernatural power of God to bring about unity and oneness. And so Genesis to Revelation, we fell because we didn't understand God and we didn't trust his leadership. And the whole story of scripture is God restoring the knowledge of him and who he is through Christ Jesus. And that one day Jesus himself will take on the headship and the leadership that is so vacant in the world today and needed in the world today. And he will restore unity. And what does unity look like in Revelation? In the Bible it says that when unity is restored, that the earth itself will be filled with the knowledge of God. That's what real unity looks like. 
is the earth being filled with the knowledge of God and people coming together as one in Christ. Okay? Um, so the source of division is disobedience birthed from the lack of knowledge of God. Uh, back, if we go back up to that verse there, um, we follow our own passions and, and obey the wishes of our old nature and our own thoughts. We esteem it so highly. We pull it into the front of the line and we say, we are right, you are wrong, and there's division on that because not all have submitted to the leadership in the ways of God. Let's move down. Um, I love this example of, uh, there's a story in the Bible of Joshua and Jericho. And uh, so Joshua in the Bible was this man who was called by God uh, to go into the land and destroy the enemies, right? And so Joshua, he is, uh, you can imagine how nervous he is. Like his people are not really soldiers. Um, and they have, uh, they're just kind of regular Israelite people. And he goes to Jericho with all these people. And he's looking at his enemy in Jericho. And he's ready to destroy them. He wants to destroy them. And then he gets to Jericho, or close to, almost close to Jericho. And he sees an angel of the Lord standing there with a sword drawn. Right? And that's actually... Um, uh, one of the things he does is he stops and he looks at this guy, this angel, who has his sword drawn, and he says, Joshua says to his angel, are you on our side or are you on the side of our enemies? And now you would think that the angel would be like, I'm on your side, Joshua, you love God more, right? Like, these guys don't know God at all, so I'm on your side. You would think that that would be the response of the angel, especially since God is the one who told Joshua to destroy the enemies. But the angel says, no. <laughs> he said, no. Uh, the angel replied, but I am commander of Adonai's armies. And I have come just now. And Joshua fell on his face to the ground and worshiped him. Then asked, what does my Lord have to say to his servant? And so actually what happened was this angel was actually Jesus showing up in the Old Testament. And so we oftentimes do what Joshua does and we go to Jesus and we're like, are you on our side or are you on their side? Like I, like, I think that God is on our side. And Jesus is like, neither. Like, are you on mine? And suddenly Joshua had this revelation that God is not the um, trump card. Sorry, run. That's a bad one. Uh, that God is not the um, God is not just this extra ammo in his pocket to help him win his enemies. It's whether or not he is on God's side. And God surprisingly was like, "I'm not on this side. I'm not on that side. I'm just Lord of the armies of God." And Joshua realized that it was his job to bow to worship in response. So I say that um, because when we understand the knowledge of God, we are not so swept up on one side or the other. Is God on my side or not? But we are primarily preoccupied with worship. <laughs> we are primarily preoccupied with coming before God and being 
and partnering with him in worship and being on his side. And I would say that even today, uh, that whether it be you are a Trumper or you are a Bidener or you are pro-communist or you are anti-communist, like, would God say over you, I'm on neither? That all people from this side and that side must bow and respond in worship. Um, when, especially when we are thinking of going off to war. Okay. Um, uh, let's go back down. Uh, just a quote from Charles Colson I really liked about uh, disobedience. It's time for us Christians to face up to our responsibility of holiness. Too often we say we're defeated by this or that sin. No, we are not defeated. We are simply disobedient. It might be well if we stop using the term victory and defeat to describe our progress and holiness. Rather, we should use the term obedience and disobedience. We're just disobedient. And so it shouldn't surprise us that so much division is happening when we walk in disobedience. Okay, go down to the next one. So point number one is division is not a result of differences. It's a result of disobedience to God. It's not about me versus my enemy. It's about we're just disobedient to God. We just need to worship and we need to come before him and bow. Right? Um, number two, all unity has one purpose alone. This is really important. All unity has one purpose alone. To grow into a dwelling place for God. Scroll down to the next one. The bottom of Ephesians chapter 2 talks, in union with him, the whole building is held together and it is growing into a holy temple in union with the Lord. Yes, in union with him. You yourselves are being built together as into a spiritual dwelling place for God. Go down to the next slide. So let me emphasize that again. And this is the one that really hit my heart when I was reading Ephesians 2, was that all true unity has one purpose alone, to grow into a dwelling place to God. So point number one is, um, or so point uh, below that is all relationships are in false unity unless the goal is to give God a dwelling place. Now, I know that's kind of a strong statement, and I want it to be a strong statement, but I think it's a true statement. Because whether you talk about unity with husband and wife, or unity between father and son, mother and daughter, friend and friend, like we're all trying to be unified, but unless your goal for your unity, unless your goal for your relationship, whether husband, wife, father, son, whatever it may be, that relationship goal is not true unity unless the, the goal of that relationship is to build a dwelling place for God. All other unity is false and even against God. And it must, if it's not true unity, then it must have a measure of selfish independence and avoid confronting major issues. And you know what I'm talking about. You have those relationships where it's like, yeah, we have fun together. We have a lot of fun, but I really can't talk about this topic with this person. 
right? Or, yeah, I really like hanging out with this person, but then at some point they're like, all right, I, I need my alone time. <laughs> Goodbye. Or like, hey, it's time to go. Okay, you go your way, my go, I go my way, and it, you have a portion of time that they can have, but that's it, right? Like, and we, we have to understand that as we pursue unity, um, we cannot hold on to selfish independence, and we cannot avoid issues. That's not true unity. Some people are like, oh, let's keep the peace. And actually, a lot of churches are like this, too. They don't want to talk about abortion, or they don't want to talk about the LGBT thing, because they don't want to cause issues in their congregation. They know that some people will stop you know, tithing if they talk about LGBTQ, or they'll know that you know, if they deal with this issue, it's going to cause problems. But that's not true unity anymore. True unity is a godly unity with the goal of building God a dwelling place. And I propose to you, and if you think about it in your relationships as well, um, if there is division uh, like between you know, father and son or husband and wife, is it not because the goal was not to build God's dwelling place? Like, was not the goal just to be happy and comfortable? But if the goal of father and son, if the goal of mother and daughter, the goal of friend and friend, and husband and wife, was to build God a dwelling place, and that's why we're together, that's why we have this relationship, then there is opportunity for true unity to occur, and issues have to be dealt with. Major issues can't be avoided. Selfish ambitions and independence, that I, this is my time, and this is my money, and this is my resource, and you can't touch it, that has to go when you're building God a dwelling place. Um, yeah, so one of the examples um, is Jesus when he came in to save the people riding on a donkey. And I always talk about this, but it's true. Uh, they were hoping that Jesus would destroy the Romans, but in Jesus' mind, too, he was there to, to get rid of division, the dividing wall between men and God and men with each other. And the first thing he does to do that is he rides into God's temple and he cleanses it. He cleanses it to make a dwelling place for God, for people to meet with him. Right? And so all unity has one purpose alone, to grow into a dwelling place for God. And whether it be you and your husband or you and your kids, like ultimately that will crescendo across the world. True unity in building God a dwelling place to the point where the church itself will come together and say, hey, we're here together to build God a dwelling place and God will return and dwell with man. And even now in our relationships, I guess I challenge you guys to say like, you know, um, with your relationships, like is the goal to build God a dwelling place like Ephesians says? Or is it just to be comfortable and to be happy? Or just to be entertained? Ultimately, those things in itself are not bad, but they are not true unity. And ultimately, those things will fail at the end. When comfort is removed, your friendship will be gone. When, when uh, 
you know, when entertainment is no longer there, then you don't have anything to do. You know, if your relationship was built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and building him a dwelling place. That is the only goal that will sustain and create true unity. And so I think about it in terms of, as I thought about um, even with a bunch of uh, whether they were, whether you believe they were Antifa dressed up as Trump supporters or you think that they were actual Trump supporters flooding into the Capitol Hill, it's like, whoa, what's going on? And, you know, like, I think even though many of the, the Trump people, like, some of them claim to be Christians, like, not all of them do. And what, what support, like, what, what fellowship does light have with darkness? You can't unify under Trump. You just can't. He is not strong enough. His goals are not eternal enough. Um, even if they are some good goals, they're just not, they are not unity in Christ. And ultimately, unity in Christ, anything that is not that, will wage against Christ. Okay, so moving next to the next one. So first point was division is not a result of differences. It's a result of disobedience to God. Two, all unity has one purpose alone, to grow into a dwelling place for God. Just one last thought before I go to the third. Like sometimes we're like, oh, we want unity. What's the goal of unity? It's just comfort. So we can have a good time, so that we can be peaceful. That's not good enough. That's not sustainable enough, and that can ultimately even create evil. You know, Hitler wanted unity. I, I always use the example of Hitler because Hitler was what the world still esteems as epitome of evil. But Hitler wanted unity. You know, so unity of, in and of itself is not enough. But unity has to have one purpose alone. All right, so three, unity cannot be achieved outside of obedience to God and relationship with God. Let's go down. Unity cannot be achieved outside of obedience to God. The root of disunity is disobedience to God, so true unity can only be by obedience through the knowledge of God in Jesus. Um, I think there was um, just a bunch of, of even Christian movements now who are, uh, even in the days of justice, last year. I think that if Christ is not the ultimate goal, if building him a dwelling place and making him king is not the ultimate goal, then why not pray with Buddhists? Then why not uh, have some outreaches with Muslims together? You know, if the ultimate goal is just justice and unity, why not just compromise the name of Jesus? We all, the end goal is the betterment of human, humans, the, 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 the betterment of, of humanity. If that is the goal, then why not just unify with them? But as Christians, we cannot because light has no fellowship with darkness. And because ultimately, our goal is not the betterment of humanity. That would make a lot of people upset to hear that Christianity's goal is not comfort. It is not the betterment of humanity. Those may be byproducts 
of Christ, but the ultimate goal is Christ, whether it looks like we have to go through uh, suffering and we have to go through a loss and, and we all our belongings and all our comfort is removed. It doesn't matter because the ultimate goal first and foremost is Christ and Christ alone, that he be exalted. And if that is our primary goal and not the betterment of humanity, then we can't. We can't unify with other religions, unify with uh, those who don't exalt the name of Christ is number one, because there is no real unity. It's a false unity. But ultimately, God even says wars against him. Okay, so the final prayer of Jesus was him telling God, basically, if I were to sum up the whole uh, John 16, was, God, I have made known to them who you are. They lack the knowledge of you. I I did my all and made known to them who you are. Now would you make them one as we are one? Like as Jesus and the Holy Spirit and God have perfect unity and perfect fellowship, Jesus says, okay, I gave them the knowledge of you. Now I empowered them with what they need for unity. Now will you, God, you, God, make them one? But you make them one. And that is huge. There is no unity without the power of the Holy Spirit at work. All else would be a false unity. All else would be something that is humanism that ultimately rages against Christ. But Jesus' final prayer is that prayer of unity, not unity based on our human efforts and, and, and egos, but unity based on one thing, that God himself should move and that people would turn to him and know him and allow obedience instead of disobedience. Um, an example of this is the Moravian revival. I know some of you guys really know who the Moravians are, others of you guys do not. Um, but the Moravians are one of the most powerful Christian people in the history of Christianity. Uh, they are the reason why we have Saturday and Sundays off, you know, from our halt, uh, every week. They're the reason why uh, the great mission movement actually came into America, and why America even became a Christian nation is largely due to the Moravians and their revival. But um, if you, and it's arguable that even more than Koreans, the Moravians preach the gospel and advance the gospel most in the world. And the Moravians though, when they started off, they were actually uh, these Germans who were fleeing persecution, and they were all different denominations, Baptists, da 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 like all different types, and they came together to live in the place called Hernhut. And they just hated each other. <laughs> they just had theological differences. Uh, they argued all the time. Uh, if it wasn't about dishes, it was about whether you had to get full baptized or half baptized or water, what, how you do it. Like, they just... And they were always accusing each other. Uh, Count Zinzendorf got so frustrated at the division and the accusations that were constantly daily coming against them. And uh, this whole community, you can imagine, no one wanted to talk to each other. The doors were shut. I mean, how many of you guys, have, I, I realized this because I talked to Cindy about this. I, I was talking to Joseph about this too. Like my family, we grew up in a house where our doors were never shut in our rooms. 
like, uh, unless we were hiding something. <laughs> like, that would be the only reason why our doors were shut. Like, so it was weird to me to go to college, to go to uh, other places of living, and someone going into their room and just shutting the door and isolating themselves was normal. You know, I'm like, where is everyone? You know, but I imagine that with her hut, that they were just wanting their own independence and their own time and to not be bothered and to just stay away from conflict and stay away from the person they don't like. And uh, so everyone's just isolated and accusing one another and just not willing to walk together. And, uh, and so how did this group of people become suddenly the most powerful Christian uh, missionaries and evangelists in the world? It was because uh, they had a prayer revival. They just decided one day, we're just going to do this watch, where we're going to have somebody in the prayer room, at least one person, and then they're just going to pass the baton to the next person, and they're just going to sit in there and pray. They had little cards that had little prayers to pray. Like, what are you going to do for your hour? I don't know. Just pick this little card and read it. Like, and they just did that. Simply. And to us, that was that it could have been boring, it could have been lonely, it could have been you know, unemotional. But what they were doing is what Joshua did when he saw the king. Instead of being like, God, are you with me or are you with them? I'm going to go destroy my enemies. Joshua saw Jesus and just bowed and worshipped. And that's what the Moravians did. One by one, they came to the prayer of every day. Picking for one hour, pick up a card, read it to the Lord, bow a little bit, <laughs> you know, worship a little bit, pathetically, whatever, and just go. And suddenly, there was, not by any human might or power, a supernatural in-flooding and breaking in happened over that community. It happened suddenly. After a little while of this, after filling up the bowl, suddenly, the Spirit of God fell amongst their midst. And for no instigated reason whatsoever, people started to repent to one another. They just felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit that I have been arrogant and I have been so mean to you. And, and they just came before each other and repented and made covenant with one another. And then went back to the prayer. Like, unity is a supernatural thing. Without the inbreaking of God, there is no possibility whatsoever for unity to occur. And it is the natural incline of people to be disunified. But that's what we need. And I'll wrap up with that and go into prayer. Is whether you have disunity in your family, disunity in your friendships, disunity in any facet, one, I want us to think about, well, let's, let, let's allow the Holy Spirit to recalibrate and say, hey, were we trying to build God a dwelling place with our relationships? Or was it just primarily for comfort and advancement of our own lives? And two, let's invite the Holy Spirit to come and work his supernatural power to bring unity in our families, in our marriage, to cause us to walk from disobedience to obedience in Christ. So just if you go ahead and lead us in a song or so. Um, 
Yeah, let's just take a moment to reflect. Uh, why don't we go ahead and close our eyes and come before the Lord together. Father, we just declare that there is uh, no unity apart from Christ alone. God, we just say that we, in our human intellect, in our human strength, in our human good works, cannot save us. We cannot bring healing. We cannot bring uh, unity or justice to our lives. So, Father, would you teach us, like Joshua, to bow? To not be so preoccupied of winning or, or our enemies, but to be preoccupied with worship and bowing before you. And not that we should not conquer or do what you asked us to do, um, but God, we just ask that worship would be our primary thing, that we would have a heart posture that, that really just wants to be on your side. in our friendships, in our families. 